She likes the boys in the band. She says that I'm her all-time favorite. When I make my move to her room, it's the right time. She's never hard to please. Oh no, that girl is pretty wild now. That girl's a... Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of TMNT Shellcast. We're reviewing season three, episode five, uh, Sky Turtles, this week. I'm your host, Chris, joined by John. John, how are you? Chris, I'm doing well. I, I have to say, when I saw the title of this episode, I almost shit my pants because I'm like, there's no way that we're not flying the blimp. A hundred times in this episode. Yeah. I was scared. So fun fact for me, I've been watching the episodes on YouTube channel. Shout out Turtles Fight Back. He has every episode of the cartoon series on there. But he flip-flopped this episode and the last episode, Maltese Hamster. So last week when I was watching, I watched half of this episode and I was like... <sighs> This makes no. The title makes no sense for this. I don't know what's going on. So then I, I figured it out and had to flip flop them. It's strange but, too because I think we saw that previously with one of the episodes on at least. So I, I listen to mine on Apple TV. I guess I don't know what you want to call it. iTunes, mm-hmm. um, and they had a different order than TMNTpedia or Turtlepedia did. So I don't think anyone knows the original order, but here we are at Sky Turtles. Which I think, just if you think of the title alone, great title, probably one of the better ones so far. It makes me think of like Michael Jordan dunking on people. But we have a big episode for you guys this week. So we're going to bring Turtle Tech back with a twist. Because I think Andrew and John, knowing Turtle Tech was coming, may have done a little research. So I wanted to throw them off this week. Um, no research. We've got a Shellback Sportsbook update. We've got a Mount Rushmore which we'll get to, and everybody's favorite pizza time segment. Last week, Andrew was the big loser for pizza time. And Andrew, what did you spin on the pizza wheel? I spun anchovy and blue cheese pizza. Yikes. Yikes. So if, uh, if you recall from a few episodes ago, didn't I have anchovy my last time I had pizza? Yeah, we've been in the yeah. anchovy era. So you yeah. had it once, John had it once, you've got it again, and there's still three anchovies on the board, I think. There's a good yeah. one up there. Yeah, so, last, your last pizza was anchovy. Yeah, so uh, if you if you go back, I guess three episodes now, you'll see I struggled to find anchovies in Idaho. So when I was at the store <clears throat> this round, I had a plan. I was going to get anchovies and blue cheese so borsad blue cheese borsad's the jam for uh for deli stuff i would say um so i got the blue cheese and then when i was in the canned fish aisle as it's called the anchovies flat pack were at the very top so i had the kids with me racing through 
saw the flat pack anchovy, grabbed it. And then when I went to make my pizza tonight, I realized somebody put a tuna fish can in the anchovy spot. So unfortunately, I do apologize because what I have here is... I got to turn my green screen off. Oh, my God. That looks gross, even with the green screen there. (laughs) Yeah, That looks like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. Just all goopy and sloppy. So let's see here. Give me my virtual background. Tuna fish might even be worse. That's almost more of a punishment. Yeah, I I feel like I am, unfortunately, kind of like jipping the, uh, the listeners. But here is... My pizza so you can Ugh. see lots of blue that cheese funky and lots of anchovy i also did this is a screaming sicilian brand frozen pizza i've never had it before uh looks pretty Crazy good easy box yeah. complete yeah, I was square gonna yeah. say the, the crust looks a little crisp there i like it yeah yeah so i went uh i went 16 minutes as the box says for the za and then i pulled it out and two i put it i put my toppings on and then for two minutes on broil so Without further ado, it's gonna be your breath is gonna. I like blue cheese personally, but it's just a very pungent. I bet it smells pretty bad in there right now. Yeah. Okay. As expected. Seems like you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Always blue cheese. Always dead. (laughs) Yeah. Blue cheese bomb right in the throat. So, the Sicilian pizza is actually very good for that style. Um, for it frozen pizza. Crunchy. Yeah, great crunch, light on the sauce, heavy on the cheese. Blue cheese, not my jam. I really, I love feta. I do not like blue cheese. Like even in a Cobb salad, I've never liked it. I had a little, I had a couple crumbles before putting it on the pizza. Didn't enjoy it. Uh, on here, it's very salty. Yeah. And if I had anchovies, it'd be even worse. So I'm, you know, I'm actually glad I, I screwed that up. But uh, overall, it's disappointing. Disappointing slice. However, better than my last one. My last pizza was anchovy and what was it? Just anchovies. anchovies. Oh, it was, it was just, just anchovies. Anchovy, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, because I did anchovy. sardines too. Uh, this one. It's probably worse, honestly. And I don't even remember what I scored my last one, but I'm going to go $3.15. Three cents more than your anchovy. Anchovy, oh. with yours was... Oh, no, no, it's one cent less. How did I mess that up? Wow, what a move cents. by Andrew. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> I what? Wow. I honestly did not know that was my score last time. So... um. If I get anchovy again or my next weird pizza, I'll make it up to you guys and uh, yeah. and throw some extra anchovies on there. So, listen, if the accuracy of Vinny's pizza board was ever questioned, Andrew just put that to bed because yeah. saying it's worse and then nailing it one cent less, you can't get any more accurate than that. So the taste buds are dialed in. Yeah, they're That's honed. Fact, Jack, absolutely awesome. Well, before we get into the episode, does anybody have anything else they want to share? Um, I will, as a little teaser, 
we were jamming on the TikTok poll this week. We had 60 votes, which is a lot for us. So look forward to that, people. Yeah, that's wow. exciting. The right, the move, the right move was to go to TikTok. That's where the youth yes. is. That's where the growth is. So let's keep those Russian bots pumping, stacking the poll numbers. And I will preface this by saying, if I lost this poll, there's a reason why, which I will share if I, in fact, did lose. So to the episode we go. We had a very, we're back to the lovely opening scenes. We had a nice, serene uh, sunrise or sunset. I guess it's hard to tell. We're overseeing the Twin Towers, rest in peace, no longer there. And then we zoom in to a very busy traffic street, which we haven't seen yet, I don't think, in all of these episodes. Every time they're topside, there is no traffic, there are no cars, but we got a bustling view of the city. And then we do this artful dive down into the sewer where big tubbelard Mikey, <laughs> Fatty McFatfat's weighing in on the scale and it is not going well. He's eating pizza as he's weighing in, which everybody knows you probably shouldn't do. He refers to himself as a lardo. He's getting just ridiculed by everybody around him. The turtles are saying he's going to have to resize his shell. Splinter is saying he lacks discipline. He's getting roasted as he weighs in. And then all of a sudden, he starts to float toward the ceiling. And then everybody else around him starts to float up as well. And Splinter says, fucking, I think I know who's buying this, but it's too soon to tell. Just instantly, his Splinter senses are tingling. He so a lot going on in that opening too. scene. Yeah. I also thought this is the first time we're seeing the weapons room, the seldom seen weapons room. So... <clears throat> Season three, we've been introduced to the layer more or less in its final format. Off of, you know, the main room is the living room that everyone's uh, familiar with, with the TV, the pink couch, the blue chair, the lamp. Um, but on opposing ends of that room, you've got the kitchen on one side, and then you have the weapons room on the other. And I believe that's where they're doing the weigh-in. Uh I also like the fact that we're giving Mikey, we're ridiculing Mikey here because yeah. we all know that you need a balanced diet. You cannot only eat pizza. Mikey's been overdoing it and Splinter's handed it to him. But just before we get to, um, you know, we get to too, too much of the banter there, everybody starts floating. And I recall when I first, saw this episode um, or rewatched this episode as an adult, I had no idea what was going on in these like first few seconds here. I legitimately, I couldn't even fathom what we're about to discuss here because I was just so, I was so thrown off by the fact that everybody, everybody and everything in the layer was floating. Yeah. So immediately I'm hooked. I, I'm liking the episode. I like the aesthetics as Chris mentioned, and I'm here for the plot. Yeah, I will say too, I think we get uh, Michelangelo eating a, a chocolate sprinkles pizza is what he was saying when he was weighing in. So I'll have to put that on the pizza wheel. Um, I will say, and I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, I never really 
understood why it was important to eat vegetables up until probably six or seven years ago. Cause I'm like, I eat the good stuff and by good stuff, I mean pizza. Like, what does it matter if I have a salad or like a side of anything that has nutrients in it, but it's the nutrients and the vitamins that are very important to the diet. And I never, I really never got that until somewhat recently, if I'm being honest. Which I would say that shocks me, but as Andrew knows, John never been a fan of the vegetables, (laughs) always ate them first and is just the minimum portion so he didn't get yelled at. Yeah, Yeah. he'd stick them in his mashed potatoes, claim that he already ate them when he was sitting down at the table. So, John, welcome to adulthood. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say, Mikey, wait, did anyone catch what the scale said? I think it was like 190. Yeah, 190. I don't know how tall they are, but... They're just over 5 feet. I think they're like 5'2 or 5'3. Yeah. So, I don't know what the BMI is. Probably says he's overweight, but it's all muscle. You know, they're muscular... Big Everyone shell knows too, muscle weighs you know? more than fat. Yeah, so. big shell. So the turtles are weighing in. They start floating around. Splinter says, I've got my suspicions. And then right away, we cut to the Technodrome. And Shredder... Shredder's not fucking around in this episode. Shredder, he's going off. He's saying that they now finally have the device he's always been waiting for. This new gravity-altering device. I don't think they ever name it. That's kind of what he calls it that he's going to use to control the city and make everybody obey his every command. So right away, he's set on conquering New York City. Yeah, he is a maniac this episode. And I I do have to say, the fucking chaos that would ensue if everything just started floating, it is, it would, like, it would be crazy. It would literally be pandemonium. Yeah. Yep. But Shredder gives zero fucks. And he's cranking that bitch up. Or is he not cranking that bitch yeah. up yet? Not yet. He hasn't cranked it up yet. First, we're going to get right into the first segment. We're wow. going Mount Rushmore of Conquerors. Whoa. So this whole episode, we'll get into it, but this is about Shredder trying to conquer the city. We're going to go through the four best conquerors throughout history. Who would like to start with number one? I'll start with number one. And this is a layup. If I do have to say so. Genghis Khan, in terms of conquering, has to be on the Mount Rushmore. It's Genghis Khan. Whatever. Mr. Khan is how I'll refer to him. Father of Amir and Ahmed of <laughs> of Bakir baseball fame. A, fu- a couple facts about Chingus, whatever his name is. One, he actually was one of the first people to create an international communications and postal network known as YAM. Y A M. There was also no artwork of him that was created during his lifetime. So all of the artwork was created post posthumously. So was that because he wouldn't allow it or they just nobody cared know. enough to, this is just a fact. How do you even, that's and, an interesting fact. Yeah. And, and he was responsible for the death of approximately 40 million people. So not great on that front, but in terms of square miles of land conquered, 
we're in like the 4.8, 4.9 million square mile range, which is quite a lot. Don't so they I think say you too have to put him on that well, his lineage is so vast because of his like pillaging and raping of of um, cities and people that he his DNA is is still like persistent, I guess, persistent over time. Yeah. Something like that. That's yeah, it's something crazy yeah. like four percent has his DNA or something, four percent of the population. I don't disagree. He's definitely at the top. I will say he gets the the square mileage thing can be a little bit misleading because he was in some areas that there's not a lot of population, so he just gets credit for conquering them. But it's hard to deny Genghis Khan. Sorry. And also, also, modern day, there's a giant statue of him, like a huge one. And also, I mean, not until I was describing that, it feels a little odd to put someone who was such a murderer on yeah a mount rushmore but i guess it's just That's the conquering game yeah so unfortunately i think he has to go on there i don't disagree andrew would you like to go next i shall i'm going with yeah so conquerors aren't my my strong suit chris i'm sure has like a whole um whole thing here of conquerors and reasons to put them on the board. This is a Mount Rushmore, so uh, not everyone we name necessarily will make the list. However, I'm going with probably the other most well-known is Attila the Hun. Would you guys agree that Attila the Hun is? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Attila the Hun, he lived uh, in the 400s. Uh, he was called the Scourge of God. And he inherited his throne in modern-day Hungary, which I had no idea. That's where the Huns were, um, you know, were originally from. But he also <laughs> was not a, uh, I guess, he was a prolific conqueror and therefore uh, slaughtered many people. And um, I believe he even, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think he did go like toe-to-toe with the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire yeah. at some point. Big, big points for sticking it to the romans yeah so did he win that battle or yeah he was yeah he was basically hammering away at them for a while like multiple i think that's where he gained most of his his legend is on his raids of roman settlements and stuff yeah um and then it also says on his wedding night he drank heavily and passed out so uh that's probably the closest thing that i will say i was um or, or the the one thing that I also share with Atilda Hun on my wedding night, I drank heavily and I also passed out. <laughs> Plus, Atilda Hun's just a cool name. Just yeah. sounds sounds intense. Would you would you say the Scourge of God is what he called himself? Yeah, the Scourge S C O U R G E of God. That's pretty badass too. And with these first two, these are also. Uh, coincidentally, the punk frog uh, names, right? Well, that's yeah. right, yeah. I didn't yeah. Even think about that. So, so I'm going to go yeah. with, for number three, again, this is another layup, Alexander the Great. Simple name, but true. So he took the Mesopotamian Empire, expanded eastward and westward, I think, a little bit too. But 
he he essentially only stopped when his army begged him to stop so that they could turn around and go home because they missed their families. He unintentionally established east to west trade. So he gets I I wouldn't say credit for that cuz conquering I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but he established it and he did this all when he was like 30. So a, one of the younger conquerors died never lost from, the battle. Yeah, never lost a battle. There's some crazy, like, he conquered, like, two-thirds of the known world at that time or something crazy like that. And then died. I think he got malaria or something stupid. He died on his way back, so. He was tutored by Aristotle. Which everyone knows Aristotle, Greek philosopher. Prolific philosopher. Yeah, everyone definitely knows Aristotle. And And his battle tactics are still studied to this day for some of the stuff that he did. He basically revolutionized warfare. He named 70 cities after himself. So, little ego there, yeah. but... I think he's the guy that conquered, like, ended the Egyptian dynasty as well. Yeah, I think so. That's what I was saying. So, he get points for that. Hmm. Alexander yeah. the Great. I agree with that. I am going to... So, we got three. We got... Yeah, I think we Khan. got the three easy ones at this point. Yeah. yeah. And here's a little, uh, a little curveball for you. I know okay. what John's doing. He read the same list I did. No, I didn't. Because you never, you wouldn't get this. When I think of people conquering things, I think of dominance. And when I think of dominance, I think of Wayne Gretzky, who is the most... He conquered... I would say he conquered the NHL in his time playing. In any major sport, no one questions that Wayne Gretzky is the goat of hockey. In basketball, you have debate. In baseball, in football, no one, it's not a conversation in hockey. He holds every single single season scoring record for every position for seasons that he played. I think he used to, he conquered the NHL when he played in it. So I, I'm, I'm putting my bid in for Gretzky. His goals record in jeopardy, I will say. Ovechkin has a chance. He does. He does. But it's but, the other stuff. He's so far ahead that it's laughable. Yeah, because yeah, we're at 92 goals in an 80-game season, which is the most ever. Yeah, there's something like if you took all his goals away, he'd still be the points leader just because of how many yeah. assists he has. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> he has like 900 goals or something crazy. Yeah. It's, he's, yeah. he's just like, it's not even a question that he's the best hockey player that's ever lived. I mean, that's not a bad argument. <laughs> I, I'm not saying he's a guarantee on there, but what I'm thinking of things that were conquered, the NHL in the early 90s was conquered by Wayne Gretzky. That's fair. That's fair. But and and I'll just throw in my other my other uh, uh, name for debate here, along the same lines. Conquering hot dogs, Joey Chestnut. Yeah, absolute animal holds over 55 world records across 55 disciplines ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes at nathan's hot dog parade or whatever it is he has 15 titles for the hot dog eating contest i feel like he is just dominance in and like ran kobayashi out of town not only took his title but ran him out of the (laughs) league or whatever they do yeah nobody's seen kobayashi since he took the mustard (laughs) belt from him (laughs) A decade and a half ago. Yeah, he so, usurped Kobayashi. Yeah, Ka- that, that's 
fuck guy can conquer a hot dog. Is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I'm all in on Joey Chestnut. 100%. Yeah, I, would, I would pick Chestnut over. <laughs> and the thing with Chestnut is, like Gretzky has the stats, but it'd be like Gretzky winning the Stanley Cup every year for 15 years. Like Chestnut just is the he he'll never lose until he retires. Nobody's even close to him. It's it's crazy though because I remember like that wave of Kobayashi was winning every year and like light years ahead, and then Joey Chestnut like came out of nowhere. And I don't know if he won in his first year like that he battled Kobayashi, but I think he was also integral in like splitting the bun and dipping it in the lemonade, like yeah. the um, the technique. It's not just this guy can eat a lot. He has like his technique is spot on, and like the yeah the belly belly hopping yeah, thing. The so wiggle. yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I respect you, Joey Chestnut. I didn't know you were actually still eating hot dogs, um, but <laughs> well done. And, like, he's, for somebody that just eats hot dogs, he's, like, if you say Joey Chestnut, every single person knows who you're talking about. So yeah. that alone, yeah. if, if part of conquering, I think, is recognition, I would almost argue more people know Joey Chestnut than Wayne Gretzky it, in today's times. Perhaps. I think that's a fair debate. Perhaps. Wow, I was just doing a little bit of research. So Joey Chestnut, 2006 Kobayashi had 53 and three-quarter hot dogs in 12 minutes. 2007 Chestnut has his first title, eats 66. Kobayashi finishes at 59 and a half. In 2008, Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut both had 59 hot dogs eaten. They went to an eat-off. It was in eat off. It was untimed, but you had to eat. Who could eat? I guess the most hot. The who could eat five hot dogs the fastest? He ate five hot dogs in fifty seconds. Wasn't there a year Kobayashi puked and he, he had a reversal of fortune? I think and then lost. I think so. That I remember that somehow. Crazy, wild. Uh, well, Joey Chestnut was, is uh, definitely welcomed. I was going to go with um, Napoleon, I think was probably, uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys you can put up there, but I've always liked Napoleon. It's a fact, I guess, that he wasn't that short. I've heard yep. like he really wasn't as short as everyone thinks he is. And something about the hand in the chest, like in his jacket pocket was also, there's like some tale about that too. Don't yeah. remember. I think it was just like a, I was told, because at the time you had to have your portrait painted and you have to hold the pose for a long time. So most people would rest their arm in their coat so they weren't just holding it up. Yeah. Or they got arm fatigue. But I, Napoleon was on my list. As they say, the downfall is never invade Russia in the winter. Napoleon clearly did not follow that advice. And I believe that was really his downfall. Like that was kind of the beginning of the end for him, right? Yeah. Tried to invade Russia, it failed, and then he got exiled to Elba. Tried to mount a coup, failed. He did. He revolutionized military organization and training, though. The Napoleonic Code. And, like, the whole... He was a megalomaniac, like the Napoleonic Complex thing. That's yeah. a thing. I think you have to be a little bit crazy to be a conqueror, so maybe that helps him in this case. But... Probably the most uh, successful, quote unquote, um, French person ever, right? Like he was French. Was it Napoleon? Yeah, or was not, he a not? Of, yeah. not a lot of famous French people, now that I think about it. 
yeah, like from a conquering standpoint, like that was probably the peak of France, like in terms of world contender, perhaps. Yeah, because he dusted England, I think, too, right? Like that was a big deal. And then I think so. And then like, they've lost the every wars, war. Yeah, yeah, they've lost every, every everything since. So, <laughs> all right, my vote. Let's let's cast a vote. I think we're between Chestnut and Napoleon at this point. I got one. I got one more. Good. I got the Night King from Game of Thrones. Ooh. No, didn't he die? Super. He got killed super easily. Yeah, Chris. Everyone dies. And no, spoiler alert. It wasn't super easy. It was a by the badass Arya Stark. However, he amassed quite. The army of the dead, north of the wall. I I have to say he fucking got a dragon. Yeah, he claimed a dragon. That's true. But I don't think dragon. they really like. Did they even ever really get past the north wall? No, yeah, and that was the thing. Down to... He conquered. He conquered uh, what was free, like free land. Nobody was really defending. Yeah, it. he conquered the north. But then when, so this that my biggest, I I didn't really have a whole lot of qualms with the last season. Like people went bananas over it. I actually didn't even watch Game of Thrones until the lead up to the whatever it was, season seven or eight, the last one. So I, I binge watched. And so I was like hooked. I just think they needed to drag that into at least like one more episode because it was too swift of a defeat. Like for how prolific of a conqueror and like how many years they spent talking about him. And then it was like one or one and a half episodes. Like the battle, what was the other battle from the season prior that was epic? Um, Battle of the Bastards. Yeah, Battle of the Bastards. That, that was way better than the other. Way one. better. Yeah, I agree. Way better. And it, I feel like that's stretched into at least two episodes. So, yeah, debatable. But ultimately, he's not in consideration for me. I'll just say yep. he's more reputation than yeah. execution, I think. So, did you just have four people on your list? Both of you? No, I mean, I had others, but. Conquerors aren't really my thing. Yeah, I was so trying to I think. I saw of... a couple lists that had George W. Bush on there. Yeah, yep. because if you factor in the War of Terror, like the amount of land taken and given back is like up there with. But I think that's more of technicality. Yeah, and then there's also like the, uh, yeah, the not. I mean, all these conquerors are yeah, bad people. Yeah, but there's even like worse uh, top, top times. So. Um, what I was trying to think of, remember we used to play Age of Empires? Yeah. I was oh, yeah. trying to think of like the characters. Um, was it Age of Empires that I'm thinking of? Like where you have your own like tribe and you build up your walls and mm-hmm. then you try to, yeah. I couldn't remember the Ottoman Empire. Like I think I was always yeah. the Ottoman Empire. What about, uh, here's a couple. Uh, Hannibal, remember from Carthage? Went through the Alps with elephants, invaded oh, yeah. Rome. That was pretty badass. The guy from uh, 300, Xerxes. Ooh. Yeah. That's new like Xerxes. That. that guy, the Persian yeah, guy that was. like swept all the way through, you know. Yeah, who claimed he was like part stuff. God, but then he, he, shed, he shed a drop of blood. Yeah. Mm. That's a great movie. I know. When I the first time you watch it, you're like, you think that spear is going to get him. And then it just grazes him and you're like, oh. That would have been so cool if he died right there. Yep. But all right, who do we want to who do we want to give the final spot to? I cast oh, my oh, vote. Wait, wait, wait. We we forgot Thanos. What about Thanos? Ooh. I mean, 
he wiped out kill half the world half of the universe actually he wiped out (laughs) i mean i gotta go thanos he's gotta be he's gotta be in consideration right no i mean he's He's also functional dusted what about the emperor from star wars galactic empire they basically took over the similar like solar systems we're talking about here yeah palpatine anyone you're not a Star Wars crowd. You would never vote for him. I but get the Palpatine. Listeners, but... The listeners will know Palpatine. All right, somebody, somebody, make a vote, John. My vote is for Joey. Andrew, Mr. Chestnut. Um. Yeah, I mean, part of me almost wants to put some of the fictional ones on the board because I feel bad, like putting like a Till of the Hun who like. Or uh, Genghis Khan, who like raped and pillaged like four million square acres or whatever. So, um, I just think it's hard not to have Thanos. If we're going fictional, I guess that's the criteria. Are we going fictional? Or are we going? It can people? be anyone. I I want Thanos on the board though, so that was going to be my vote. I maybe okay. we take off Attila. I say screw Thanos. Attila. Yeah, because Attila okay. kind of. And again, this is just in my brain. This isn't reality, but like him and Genghis Khan are like in the same group to me. And Attila's the B, the B guy. So yeah, let's put Thanos instead of Attila. And then Joey Chestnut. I'm done with that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. So we've got Genghis Khan. We've got Thanos. We've got Alexander the Great. And we've got Joey Chestnut. On the, on the Mount Rushmore of Conquerors. All right. We will get back to the episode now. So, back at the Technodrome, Shredder has established that his goal is to use this new device to control the city and obey his every command. And Krang cuts him off. Krang is there and says, listen up, I am actually the one that invented this machine. So, let's just cool the jets here. And before he can even finish... His rebuttal, Shredder cuts him off and says, I'm cranking this thing to extend past the subterranean level. Like, let's get the show on the road. Hammers the lever forward, and Krang is in almost a panic, saying, <laughs> This is, we're not ready for this. This machine can't handle it. Like, you're going, he, he exactly says, You're an insane power med thing. And Shredder thinks him. That's how out of it Shredder is. He's off his rocker. He's thanking Krang for calling him insane. Yeah. I think this is also really the first time Shredder's like straight up insubordinate, like to to the nines. Yeah. Usually, usually Krang's like, hey, Shredder. Good example is when Shredder and the foot soldiers had surrounded the turtles. uh, What was at the end of season two? And the Technodrome had just come back. Shredder was calling on the foot soldiers to destroy them. And Krang was like, no, 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 Shredder hold up, this is this is my, like, I get dibs on this. So I feel like Shredder has fallen in line as any good general shall, but he's just had enough, especially after the last episode. So he gives zero fucks, and he's just insubordinate like a motherfucker. And this, like, Andrew, this is, this is what you want, right? You're a Shredder guy. You've been pumping up his tires, so this... This is your episode. This is where he's he's running. He's calling the shots. Yeah. I mean, more or less. He's still using Krang's technology, so this is still kind of like 
he's he's limping he's limping along with uh you know with what Crane's given him but I do like the pizzazz I would say of Shredder in this episode just coming out swinging yeah, yeah. sometimes you just need to push the envelope a little bit try you know, something people, different you know yeah people think that they're not ready but you'll never know unless you sort of toe the line you know you got to push right up to the edge yeah so we are now going to get into segment number two these are going to be some quick hitters spread throughout the episode because as i was watching this episode i thought to myself there seems to be a lot of references to songs or music sprinkled throughout based on some of the quotes so today's turtle tech is actually going to be a little turtle disco tech uh, and it's going to be music themed (laughs) So the goal here, there's as, as I mentioned, there are quotes spread throughout. When we get to a scene that has a quote that triggered a song memory for me, you two are going to work as a team. I'm going to read. I'll read you a lyric. If you want, I can try and sing the lyric. And you need to give me the name of the song and the artist that performed the song. The original version of the song. There are some very easy ones. There are some more difficult ones. That's why I'm letting you work as a team. So, all right, whenever all right. you're ready. The quote that inspired this first one is the quote I mentioned Krang saying to Shredder, you're an insane power mad thing. Here's the lyric. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. Uh, Jump, jump, jump. No, is that the same song? House uh, of Pain? No, I don't think so. House so of Pain? you need the song name and the artist. This is this should be this is deceptive. Everybody recognizes the lyric, but can you get the artist in the song? It's not House of Pain. House of Pain is it House of Pain? Kind of kind of gets a little um what's that group? Um I got no idea. This well, Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys. No, it's not the Beastie Boys. It kind of is like the Beastie Boys, isn't it? Or is it the Beastie Boys? I don't know. I have no idea. From the same era as the Beastie Boys, I will say that I it got, is not the nothing. Beastie Boys. That no, is your I one got, got nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's either called Insane or Insane in the Membrane for the song title. And who's saying House of Pain, John? Let's just go with that band. That's the band. House of Pain? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you guys have no... You're not the best music. I know that. Everyone knows that song, but I don't think anyone actually knows who sang it or what it's called. That's why I thought this was a good one, because you instantly recognized the lyric, <clears throat> but it was not... I didn't know who it was until I looked it up. I didn't... Off the top of my head. Yeah, I have no idea. Who is it? Who is it? All right. The na- you, I'm going to give you credit for neither. The name of the song, Insane in the Brain. Yeah. The artist Cypress Hill. Oh, Cypress yeah. Hill. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. Because it. Uh, so I would have never o, got that. Collectively, over. Cypress Hill, a uh, pretty famous golf course out in California. So. Perhaps where they got their name. Maybe they're it's also called Cypress Point. Nobody knows. <laughs> over one on the turtle text. Back to the episode. So Shredder cranks this thing past the subterranean level. And we cut to Irma 
at the Channel 6 News building. She's explaining to April that she finally found Mr. Wright. She's looking at this picture of him. She seems to be smitten with this guy. And all of a sudden, just as the turtles did, these two start to levitate up into the air. And in fact, the whole office does. So Vern comes floating out of his room. He's complaining. Burn comes floating out and immediately blames it on the turtles. He thinks they're behind all of this because as we recall from the Kellerman episode, the turtles still have bad street cred. They haven't got any good publicity. There's a smear campaign going on. So they're still public enemy number one to a lot of the public. Um, and what does April do, John, as soon as they start floating around? She gives the turtles a call. She does. Leo on the spot answers the phone and immediately says, Hey April, I think Shredder's behind this. Doesn't <laughs> have any reason why he just shoots that out there. He thinks it's Shredder and Krang and they're going to try and figure out what's going on here. Cause April needs some help. And I think in this scene, the turtles, so I was talking about the weapons room. So immediately next to the weapons room is the training room. And I believe that's where the turtles have floated into since because um, it's much larger. It has like a bullseye with like shredder pinned on it. Um, uh, it's got, I don't know what it's called, but I think it's Japanese or some mixed uh, martial arts, like wooden beam that kind of looks like a person, like with limbs that you can like practice like your spinning kicks and stuff on. So I think that's where they're at in this scene, which is also seldom seen. And I think it's very cool. I agree. So the turtles are floating around, bumping their head off the ceiling. Wrath actually says, all this bouncing off the ceiling has my brain beeping. And that brings us into turtle tech number two of the episode. Are you ready? The lyric is... Upside down, bouncing off the ceiling, inside out, stranger to this feeling. No idea. Nothing? Uh, you guys don't know this one? Spice Girls? No, I know. This is probably the hardest one that there is. I'll give you that. Yeah, and I, I, I recognize the song. Couldn't tell you one second what the title or the artist is. The title is Hanson. in the lyric. Upside Down by Hanson. So you got the song name, Upside Down. Hanson, your final answer on the band? Andrew? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. The band is the A-Teens. The A-Teens. One-Hit Wonders. I believe uh, Jesse McCartney was a member, but that was Hmm. the early 2000s song there, One-Hit Wonder there. So you you got half a point on the turtle tech so far. So back to our episode. Shredder thinks things are going swimmingly. So he cranked it to extend past the subterranean level. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to crank this even more because <laughs> it's going so well. And Krang is begging him. You're not authorized to do this. You can't crank the machine. It's, it's not going to hold up. He hammers it forward. And what do you know, the extra power overloads the machine and it causes the gravity to basically return to normal. Everything falls down to the ground. So once this happens, April calls the turtles 
again. And this time Splinter says, you know what? I had my inklings before, but now I know that Shredder and Krang are behind this. We don't know how, but this is just the Splinter senses tingling. So in the turtle or in the Technodrome, Shredder is bullshit that this is happening. He starts <laughs> just manually overriding the machine. Krang again is is freaking out. You can't do this. You're not allowed to do this. Shredder's saying, I can't wait around all day. I need to conquer the world now. I'm not gonna <laughs> wait anymore. And he just rever- what he does is reverses the effects. So now instead of anti-gravity and everything floating, he's got he's gone from blow to suck for a Spaceballs <laughs> reference there. And now everything is super gravity and is heavier than it should be on Earth. And like collapsing upon itself. Like vehicles are like imploding. Um, yeah, like a lot, lot of chaos right here. For sure. Yeah. You imagine you're just at your fucking desk job clicking, clacking away on your laptop. You start floating and then all of a sudden you're just, shit is super heavy. You're experiencing super gravity it would be crazy yeah devastating like deadly and devastating really yeah i would prefer um the first version like no gravity where you're floating versus being oh yeah for sure like like a can of sardines 100 percent. so he cranks this bad boy throws it in reverse whatever you want to call it throw it in reverse terry Everything's getting sucked to the ground. <laughs> the turtles, I'm glad Joe got that reference. The turtles are, they're on the streets. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're scoping out the city. They're in the turtle van. And who's driving the turtle van, John? Not uh, it's yeah, fucking Leonardo again. Leo's yeah. just, I think he's Leo the versus the brakes. Leo versus the brakes part two is what we got right here. Yeah. I have in my notes. I was I like, had. JFC which is short for Jesus fucking Christ, Leo with the brakes again. Like, dude, figure it out. Learn how to use the brakes or not use the brakes. He's God. the only one that's had issues. I know. So it's either either Donnie's like sabotaging him intentionally uh, or Leo just has no idea. I mean, granted, he is a teenager and he's a turtle trying to drive a, a van. So, yeah. I think he gets a little bit of leeway here because the anti-gravity thing, but Andrew nailed it. They're driving along. They're a little suspicious. He can't stop the brakes. He's freaking out again. And the anti-gravity machine is so strong that it flips the turtle van, skids along on the roof, and the turtles are pinned to the ground. So they're upside down in the van, essentially holding themselves up with their arms to prevent from being just sucked and cemented to the ground. So they're they're not in good shape here. It took me a second to realize... I had to watch the episode a couple of times to figure out why they were stuck upside down because I couldn't like the gravity is so strong that people can't lift them, can't lift anything up off of the ground. And because the van flipped their hands and head were on the ground. So they couldn't like physically lift their hands off the ground because gravity was so strong. Yep. And these are super strong turtles. So, there's a quote as they're going down the street that's going to introduce us to Turtle Discotech number three. Where Raph says, maybe it's Mikey, I forget who, but he says, talk about freaking, scope out the street just ahead. So, are you ready for Turtle Tech lyric number three? Yes. <laughs> this this would be a hard one to get through. <laughs> I might laugh. 
All right. She likes the boys in the band. She says that I'm her all-time favorite. When I make my move to her room, it's the right time. She's never hard to please. Oh, no, that girl is pretty wild now. That girl's a... I'm going to cut it off there so I don't give it away. <laughs> get no fucking you gotta, clue. You don't, it's a famous song. Um, She's all right. That girl's all right with me. Yeah. She's, she's a, a very freaky oh. girl. The kind you don't take home to mother. Yeah, that's the song. I don't know that song. <laughs> Come on. It's, if you just sing the song, you'll sing the weird, the name of it. Super freak, super freak. She's super freaky now. I think it's super freak is the name of the song. Yep, that's the name of the song. And I'm going to go by the Bee Gees. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You guys have no. This was the, <laughs> this was the layup I had. Like no musical awareness at all. I mean, I don't know. The Eagles. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is Rick James. Rick James. Oh, Rick, Rick James, James. Bitch. Wasn't that oh. a thing? Was that a saying yeah. for a while? Rick James. Bitch. Yeah, that was a Chicago <laughs> show skit. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm Rick James. Bitch. The, the Eagles, Andrew. Come on. I thought Chris, I it with the Bee Gees. Hotel California. Right, yeah, I should have made these. Well. I knew I was making these, and I was like, "They're not going to know." And I thought that would be a layup, but well, we got a point because we got the song. Yeah, you got the song. So two, you've got you've got one full point. You got two half points. So turtles flipped over in the van, pinned to the ground. Shredder is down. He sees this on his big screen of his. I don't know how this screen just gets videotape everywhere, but he knows the turtles are in distress and he sends Bebop, Rocksteady and two foot soldiers topside to go deal with the turtles. But before he sends them up there, he gives them special anti-gravity boots so that they can walk around and be unaffected by the gravitational pull from the uh, gravity altering device. You know what? So, you know what these anti-gravity boots reminded me of? And it's going to be a throwback to anyone who was born in the 90s. There used to be this commercial where it was like these things that you could strap to your feet that looked like just giant, like squishy, it were like four or five inches tall. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the moon moon shoes, yeah. I think they called them. Is yeah. that what they were? Yeah. Moon shoes? They, they had like, um, I'm not going to say trampoline, you know, but it was kind of like this. That's trampoline. what I was thinking. Yeah. I think they were called moon oh my shoes. God. Yeah, yeah, they were. I just that's exactly what wow, moon shoes. How did you know that? Mini trampolines for your feet. I think that was the <laughs> yeah. Commercial. I remember the commercial. There's like a little girl like <laughs> walking around. They also reminded me kind of of the Napoleon Dynamite moon boots he's wearing when he does the dance on stage. Very clunky. What the fuck yeah, are these moon they, shoes? They kind of also reminded me when I first saw them, I thought of Kobe Bryant's like Adidas Kobe Bryant number one shoe that he had that were like I think yeah, they the also those ones. were also called moon shoes as a joke because they were so ugly. Um, granted, those weren't boots, but they had kind of the same blocky shape. But what I was going to say about them is how convenient that they have these in the Technodrome when Shredder wasn't even necessarily intentionally planning on mm. the hypergravity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, Crane yeah just this has, is a manual creation yeah. that he's done. He didn't even know he needed these. Right. Exactly. So they strap those suckers on, they zip up to the surface, 
and they find the van with the turtles turned over in it. So to Bebop, Rocksteady, and the Foot Soldiers, this is, I think one of them even says this is going to be like shooting turtles in a barrel or something like that. They've got them dead to rights. The turtles, they're in the van. They know that they're kind of screwed and they try and think of a plan on what to do. And I believe it's Leo that says, hey, we need to trick one of these guys to stepping into the van and then we can execute our plan from there. So Rocksteady is the stupid one who gets tricked. He walks into the van and they're kind of insulting him to kind of draw him in a little bit. And he gets tripped and pinned to the ground by Raph and Mikey. So they're able to free one arm, kind of sweep the leg, knock him to the ground, use the force of gravity and their own strength to pin him down. They pull off his boots. Donnie takes one of his smelly socks, puts it under his nose and knocks him out. And then in what is probably one of the, one of the funnier animations, um, Leo and Donnie each take one boot and shoot it onto like a basketball onto Mikey's feet so that he can now walk around and be freed. Yeah, they. I think Leonardo says this is a three-point shot before he throws the boot onto Mikey's feet. Yeah, also, I just don't know. I don't get. Like it was obviously it's a cartoon. They need to make it work, but how the fuck does Leo throw those boots on Mikey's feet? Like they just were <laughs> perfect. Like, and for some reason, I in my head I was thinking Mikey's feet were like against the floor. Obviously, they weren't because he was being dragged down. But it just was too perfect so leo makes up at least leo makes up for the break malfunctioning um and frees mikey who again like what's going on mikey and donnie are like the lead in every episode for the last yeah like six Fuck episodes yeah. that's what i like why why mikey's the one that they throw the boots on especially after he just got called the tub of lard like five minutes ago yeah he's a little redemption so, arc chris so he also gets... a couple things a couple things about rocksteady one his eyes are yellow, and it always looks like he's high as fuck, or he's jaundiced. Are Rhino's eyes supposed to be yellow? I don't know. I, I mean, he's underground. Him. Maybe it's just because, I don't know. No vitamin been D. Living in a lava field for the last month. And two. Some, some vitamin D. Two. Of course, he's got smelly-ass feet with holes in his socks, with grody toenails. Like... Yeah, that's not surprising. But can we have a little dignity for Rocksteady animators? Like, villains don't need to have stinky feet. Was he the one that got pantsed and had hearts on his underwear too? Yeah, yeah, he was. Tough, tough look for Rocksteady. It's it's kind of interesting too because Rocksteady's, in a way, been the lead. Like for Bebop and Rocksteady, I feel like Bebop has taken a way back seat to Rocksteady in terms of obviously they're not prominent in every episode but when they are i feel like bebop is almost like a second thought or yeah. like a you know a b teamer the sidekick yes yeah, to defend the stinky feet socks and boots never great combo in the earth's core where it's super hot what a foot sweat going on so i know you but... work with what you got but mikey's got his boots on he walks out of the van he's now facing the two foot soldiers and Bebop, and he's got to figure out a way to take these guys out. So he goes for his Nunchakos, which 
Makes sense. That's his weapon. But gravity's got him in slow mode. So they're they're not moving fast enough. You can't do anything with them. But the lasers from the foot soldiers guns are in fast mode. So he's getting shot at. He's dancing around. His nunchucks are useless. He has no idea what he can do. And what does he do, Andrew? The old schoolyard move. Let me stand in between the two foot soldiers, trick them into shooting at me, and I'll matrix back foot out of here, and they evaporate each other. And that brings me to a surprise show and tell. Okay, so I was going to save this for a different time, but I thought this scene was almost too good because, uh, number one, foot soldiers are back, which is great to see. Uh, but number two, we have two of them, uh, you know, shooting at shooting their ray blasters at Mikey here. So what I have, and I will turn off my green screen once again so that everyone can <laughs> see without the distraction. Skipping, skipping rope in the attic. <laughs> Yeah, so. so um i do just want to give a shout out to my friend uh sam bridges 13 on reddit he hooked me up with a whole bunch of action figures that i was missing from the 87 cartoon line but here we have whoa the foot soldier so that's a human foot soldier so human hands yeah, and th- that's that's kind of the confusing part. So in the cartoon, they are robots, but they have, I think, hands that look like robots. Because even like from here, these are this is the back. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the episodes now. I can't. I don't remember what their hands look like. Um, but what's interesting, and I can't remember exactly. So so anyway, um, what we're looking at here for those that aren't on YouTube, I've got the troubles of foot, TMNT. Um, NECA action figure and in the box here we've got a foot soldier obviously Um, but this is the reason I brought it up because I did not realize this until we were re-watching these episodes for the podcast that the foot soldiers have been featured with both red and yellow foot symbols on their head so I'm going to put this up to the screen so he has red red. yeah Oh, and if I go over here, there is a yellow version as well. Whoa. So I believe in this episode, they had the yellow foot on their head, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's um, like a rank thing. It's what I read on Turlpedia after I looked at this was that they were featured in one color and then it was changed at some point, like in one of the seasons and then it remained whatever that new color was. So for forever. I don't, I don't know for sure, but um, it's cool to have a foot soldier. I, it's, it was one of the missing figures um, that I've had, and I haven't done a show at Tell in a while, so I thought I'd sneak it in here. This is not the one I had planned um, like for a month or two months now, but I thought it would be a nice little show and tell for the for the YouTubers out there. Yeah, nice treat. I do like the just the foot soldiers in general. They're, I don't know. They're just very uh, like aesthetically pleasing to me. As far as bad guy grunts go, I they're my favorite. And I got a little crane, yeah, with crane on it. Look at his face, love crane. They do look. uh, That looks pretty evil. Evil face there. 
scary. A little bit scarier than I feel like the cartoon is, honestly. And yeah, the cartoon posture. is more dopey. They like are swamped over, kind of. Yeah. So the, the other cool thing about this, you see that um, the police hat? Yeah, there's a police hat. But do you see the little um, fan? Like, uh, mm-hmm. what are those called? The folding, like Japanese fans? Or... Yeah. Um, that was featured, remember in episode, was that episode one or two? When they had the fan, it would like, it was like propelling the turtles away oh, yeah. from them. Like the whatever tech they had. Um, so I thought oh, it was yeah. a cool callback hmm. to some of the earlier episodes. So that is the Troubles Afoot uh, action figure. Thank you again, Reddit user Sam Bridges 13 for hooking me up. Um, and there will be more to be seen down the road. Thank you, Andrew. And told. So, Mikey has caused two foot soldiers to evaporate each other, leaving their boots available. Two does sets that of go, boots. To, does that go to his kill count? I don't think he actually. Uh, I would say I no. Know, what do we think? He didn't actually kill him. Yeah. Yeah i I feel like since the robots, those those ones are tough to uh, to count. Yeah, that's true. We counted the rock soldier because water beats rock. So, yeah. yeah. Back in the foot soldiers are on the soul, so you don't really get a kill for that. So he grabs the two pairs of boots. He brings them back to the turtles in the van, and they're kind of like, "Cool, but there's three of us, and there's only two pairs of boots. What are we gonna do?" What's Bebop doing right now? We don't know. He's just kind of there. He's just like fucking around. Yeah, Bebop. What was he supposed to be doing? They were, weren't, weren't they all searching for the turtles? Yeah. He got yeah. distracted. Plus, when you see your three of your companions get smoked, probably <laughs> best just to hang back and not, not interfere anymore. So the turtles, since they've only got two pairs of boots and there's three of them, do a little potato sack style. <laughs> they share two of the boots between them. So it's three of them hip to hip. I forget who's in the middle, but he's got one boot shared on each foot, and they just they skip away, like very jolly way to exit the uh, the scene there. Yeah, it uh, in what can only be described as Dorothy the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion skipping down the yellow brick road. Also, yeah. it it um, I did a lot of thinking about how they would actually be able to walk in those boots. Especially, so Leo's in the middle. He's got two boots. He's got two feet in two boots along with two other turtles. So it's like, it's not like they could go two on the outside, two on the inside, because Leo would just be like hopping. It'd be very, I feel like the way they animated it was the correct way that they would be walking. I was impressed by that. I just could not uh, get shake in my head the potato sack. Chris referenced it earlier, but remember old home day? Shout out Hall in Elementary School. Yeah. Um, the potato sack race was my favorite event. Um, but we also had the other thing, which was like the leg tie, where you actually the did three-legged have your race. three-legged yeah. race. Yeah. So it's kind of like a combination of both here. And the three-legged race was so hard if you had somebody that had no idea what they were doing. And you always would get paired up with like a random kid or a random girl that just couldn't figure out like, Left, right, <laughs> left, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so probably took him a while to get home. Yeah. Very funny scene. And before they, they dance away, Donnie makes a key observation. John, do you remember what that observation is? 
Yes, he sees birds flying around. And he thinks to himself, hey, birds. I mean, hey, turtles. The birds are not affected by gravity because they're in the air, which, I mean, I don't know about that. But he makes the observation that if they're in the air, they won't be affected by this gravity, super gravity. Yeah, I think and he to says... Which, to which my heart skipped a beat because if Donnie is making this distinction and this observation then he must be the one to fly the blimp later this episode but he's not and he's, uh going back to the birds Andrew just Andrew just spoils the surprise yeah. <laughs> you're right though it had to be said yeah um spoiler, but spoiler. i think i think the observation is that they're of like the pull of whatever that gravity device is so Gravity does affect birds, as we know, John. Just um, they're out of out of range, and it's less of a um, less of an impact. And I do speaking of gravity, I just have to get one thing off my chest. If you recall from high school, they taught you about like the the forces of nature, and gravity is certainly one of them. But they would always say gravity is the weakest of all the forces. Do you remember this? Yes. I feel yeah. like it's while that's true because we break gravity like anytime you take a step or jump or throw something. I feel like it's kind of a what's the word I'm thinking of? Um it's kind of misleading to say it's the weakest force because it's misnomer. Yeah, it's it's kind of a misnomer because the sun, which is light years away or however far away it is, um like exerts gravity on us like so far away, you know what I mean? Like it's not a weak force. It's just, it's got its own like nuances. So for the gravity haters out there, now, now you know, now you know how I feel. I don't like you. I don't like you. And I don't think it's true. This is a pro gravity podcast. Yeah. Pro gravity. Yeah. Great so, song, by the way. I think he even says, I think Donnie says specifically, it's only effects about 12 feet above the surface, which I'm like 12 feet is a very specific number, but Maybe he's doing some mental math. I don't know. There's also another observation I made here, and that relates to turtle tech. When Mikey got his boots, he said, what did he say, John? These boots are made for walking. Oh, yeah. These boots are made for walking, which I think you can guess what this next turtle tech song is going to be. I had a lyric prepared that was... A little bit harder. I'm going to give you the easy lyric because you guys suck so far. And we're going to go, these boots are made for walking. That's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. And we're keep in mind, we're looking for the original artist. Mm. Bonus who points if you could name the, the other artist. Who was a female, I believe, the original. So name yeah. of the song, that should be an easy one. Boots are made for walking. Correct. I'm going to say Dolly Parton. <clears throat> I also want to say Dolly Parton, but I don't think it is. Um, but I don't know anybody else who would have uh, sung that. Jessica Simpson. Well, she so did. Jessica Simpson, you got a half point for. That was the cover when the Dukes of Hazzard movie came out. Yeah. Everyone's also, a fan of that music video. Yeah. A lot of people are. <clears throat> 
But the original artist is Dolly Parton, your answer. Ooh. Wait, it is? Fuck yeah. No, is is oh. a question. Not the... Oh, yeah. Oh. We're going Dolly Parton, but I don't think yeah. it is. That is incorrect. That was also what I thought. The original artist, Nancy Sinatra. Oh, man. Nancy Sinatra is what R- we're looking for. Related to the great Frank or... Perhaps his daughter, maybe, or boy, I don't mm-hmm. really know. I think they are related, but I didn't, didn't care to look it up, to be honest. Mm. So the turtles skip away with this idea in their mind that birds cannot be impacted by the anti-gravity device. Back at the Technodrome, Shredder is just fucking out of his mind. He's mad with power. He is screaming at the top of his lungs, the world is mine. I've done it like this is the greatest thing ever. And Krang has to kind of stop him and point out that, hey, buddy, your goons that you sent up to the surface, they're uh, signaling for help. So maybe slow your roll on the whole celebration thing. So Shredder sees that Bebop is asking for help and is kind of bullshit about it and says, all right, let me throw my boots on and go to the surface to deal with this myself because... Every time I delegate something, it gets screwed up. So he slaps his boots on. He heads up to the surface. And as soon as he gets up there, high up in the sky, floating above him, Andrew, what does he see? Milky cloud. I'm going to say... Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say the turtle blimp. Yep. It is the turtle blimp driven by... Leonardo. A curly-headed boy named Shane. <laughs> Driven by Leonardo, Chris. Leo. Leo is the the designated driver for this episode. He's all over it. So, they're up in the air. They're flying around. And Shredder sees them. And he's like, not on my fucking watch, buddy. None of this flying around. You think you outsmarted me? Let me change the, the game here. So, he takes his remote control, I guess, for this gravity altering device. He can control it from his little pad. And he slaps it into ultra reverse gravity mode, which causes all of the suck power to convert back to blow power and start launching. It's basically so powerful that it launches things like a cat as a projectile (laughs) up at the turtles. So it's pushing so hard away from the earth that things are starting to float into the sky above the 12 foot limit we had previously established and get shot into the turtles up above. One of those things that is shot into the blimp is a cat, as Chris mentioned. There's also, I believe, a pizza truck oh, that yeah. is shot up. Pizza delivery truck. And I watched this episode four times, and wow. I miss this every single time. Michelangelo has a cowabunga. Yeah, I wrote it in that dialogue. He says, Cowabunga, we'll give us pizza. So that's one for the good guys. Cowabunga. Yep. Was it the same cat that was in the April episode? The orange one? Yeah, I think it was an orange cat that got shut up there now that I think about it. Yeah, the the cat woman from Channel 6. Uh, It might be. It might be. Is this where the buildings are being ripped from their base or not yet? Not fully yet. Okay. We're getting there though. I just, uh, I can't imagine being 
like let's say you're April or Vern or anyone at channel six, this like yo-yo of no gravity, too much gravity. Like your stomach literally must be in knots because Shredder is off the rails and he's just, he, he's like in panic mode where he's, he's seeing something and he's just reacting without even thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not so good. Yeah. Not so good for the turtles because stuff is flying at the blimp. So this is what I was thinking is like, aspire or something is going to project into the blimp and it's going to send the turtles crashing down yeah so he's he's he hits this button and then he's standing below them shouting if i can't control the city i'll destroy it and cause it to float away so he's fully off the rocker at this point he's got nothing else on his mind besides destroying the turtles and ruining the city and leo up in the blimp is he's trying to adjust for this new ultra gravity ultra reverse gravity and he basically says i gotta put this thing on full power just to keep us from getting blasted off the face of the earth by this anti-gravity thing so i'm gonna pause you there chris because this is important to discuss it's actually donatello that says i need the full power i need to provide full power on this blimp and it's right when the building starts to float away there is an animation error where Donatello, for a brief second, is commanding the glider blimp. He's the one wow. that's driving it. By um, voice or by visual? Or both? By visual. But never come, well, but it, in theory, by voice, the way he's talking. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's by voice in animation, though not perfect. It does appear that Donatello would be driving the glider blimp at that point. I am not saying that that counts because immediately before and immediately after it's Leonardo that is driving the blimp for this episode. But there is an animation error. Well, let's put an asterisk because if it comes down to like the deciding factor, this will be a nice um, yeah, return. Maybe we'd have to put it out to a vote if we can screen cap that. I didn't catch the animation, so maybe yeah. screen cap it and we I do I do remember though that there were definitely voice errors around this time. Um and I couldn't remember. I think there were multiple simultaneously because I think Rafs got mixed up with somebody too. Um but I didn't realize that Donnie was in the driver's seat briefly. So I will say it is also a good point that John paused us there because we have turtle tech number five. <laughs> And the quote, which I referenced and misquoted as I was just doing it off the top of my head, the exact quote is, I have to use full power to keep us from drifting away. So, are you guys ready ready for the lyric for Turtle Tech number five? This one's a little bit longer than the other ones, so bear with me here. Cut me off if you just knowing it, which I doubt you will. But, okay. Here we go. I don't know why I started singing these. I should have just read them. (laughs) (laughs) Day after day, I'm more confused. But I look for the light through the pouring rain. You know, that's a game that I hate to lose. I'm feeling the strain. Ain't it a shame? Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in the rock and roll and drift away. 
Drift Away. It's such a great song. Yeah. Probably the best song that uh, is on the list so far. Now, the question is, do we know John? Um, I, I'm between Brian Adams and John Cougar Mellencamp as the artist. It's funny because I, in my <laughs> head, I know it's not John Cougar Mellencamp, but in my head, I'm like, he definitely, that was the first one that came to mind for me too. Yeah. <laughs> Summer uh, of 69. So Drift, Drift Away is a song title. I believe. Whenever you want to submit an answer, just say final answer. Yeah, I don't know. Drift Away by Brian Adams. Who the fuck's Brian Adams? This is like a band. This is like a summer of 69. Oh, okay. Um, It's a band. It's it's not the Eagles, but it's like a band like that. Maybe it is the Eagles. I don't know. Stuck on the Eagles. (laughs) I don't even know what's. I couldn't even name you once on the Eagles thing. But um, all right, let's go with John. We're going "Drift Away" by Brian Adams. Final answer. Yeah, that is incorrect on both. The name of the song: "Give Me the Beat Boys." The band: The Doobie Brothers. Oh, that's right, the Doobie Brothers. Boys by the Doobie Brothers. That's a legendary song. So there's one more turtle tech left. Hopefully you can nail it. We'll get there when we get there. So we've left the turtles. They're in full power mode, just trying to stay basically floating in this debris field that Shredder's created. And while they're doing that, yet again, we get a distress call from April. Just can't let the turtles fucking breathe for two minutes. Always on the phone every time something happens. And basically her and Irma she and Irma are about to get blown off the face of the earth. They're holding on to the antenna at the top of the channel six news building. And they're basically calling the turtles and saying, we need you to get out here and save us because we can't hold on much longer. So they kind of navigate their way over there. And right as the building starts to get ripped off the foundation, they launch the turtle grappling hook, which we saw last episode, I believe they hook it onto the channel six news building and then say, we need to anchor this to something humongous. And what do they see just off in the distance? The empire state building. So they kind of drag the channel six news building over there. April and Irma hanging on. They wrap it around the empire state building to anchor it. And they've sort of, at least for the moment saved April and everybody at channel six. And as they're doing this, Donnie spies what he believes to be the source of the anti-gravitational pulse. He sees these, you know, these things kind of radiating off in the distance, these gravity beams, I guess you would call them. And he devises a plan on how to combat this. Andrew, what does this plan consist of? Do you remember? Yeah, because it was so absurd. Um, so they see the satellite dish, massive like satellite dish on top of the channel six building. The so stupendous Don- dish. Stupendous dish, yeah. So Donnie, I think the logic is if we get this dish, we can like reflect 
the gravity force back to the source and then hopefully like overload it or break whatever is causing the the gravity thing i think is the logic there but yep. burn is not on board with that because i believe he says it's like a brand new or it's a very expensive satellite dish so whatever they do they must not damage it i think is something along those lines or mikey at least makes a promise like don't worry like don't get your panties in a bunch we'll bring it back good as new yeah they're basically kind of bullshit they're like hey we're trying to save the world here like cut us some slack type deal but you nailed you nailed donnie's plan so they rip this satellite dish off the building they start floating it over to where the gravity rays are pulsing through the ground. And I believe this is the point where it's so powerful as they get closer that they have to detach the blimp part and just go straight to glider mode. So they let the blimp part kind of float away. They hover over the source of the pulse, aim the satellite dish down. I believe it's Mikey and Raph holding it and Mm -hmm. it works. So it deflects the pulse back down into the ground. It kind of normalizes gravity and everything falls back to quote unquote normal. The buildings crash back onto their foundations. Everything's kind of good for the moment. Once that happens, we cut back to Krang who is back. He's still under the surface in the Technodrome and he's seeing these pulse rays getting shot back into the machine And he's finally had enough. He's like, Shredder's been running the show. I knew he was going to fuck this up. I'm taking control. And I'm going to crank this bad boy to super maximum power. Which we can only assume is the biggest, most powerful level that this machine is capable of. So he throws the lever forward. And it basically overloads the machine. It's so powerful that it detaches the machine from where it's bolted to the ground underneath the earth and launches it way up into space. And we never see it again. Mm. Gravity at this point is hundred percent back to normal. And what happens at this point to the satellite dish, John? Uh, I believe it bursts into many pieces. It falls and crashes to the ground. Yeah. And some would say Mikey drops it, just kind (laughs) of lets go. (laughs) It falls. But it drops down to the ground, smashes, and I don't know if it's before or after Raph almost dies. I think it's after. He kind of gets tumbled off the edge and Donnie saves his life. Yeah, strong strong episode for Donnie again. And um, you got to love the Crane and Shredder like that dynamic duo of push and pull between those two, if they just once work together, I feel like they could accomplish a whole lot, but uh, moral of the story, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Exactly. And speaking of enemies, Shredder's down below. He's like, what the fuck? My plan is ruined again. And he's instantly, he's like, Hey, where the hell are people up in Rocksteady? Like they were up here. What's going on? They had been floating up in the sky for a while. And now that gravity's back to normal, they're plummeting, they're rocketing back down to Earth 
from like the outer atmosphere. Nobody, they were, they were just up above the turtle bump at least. Nobody <laughs> knew where they were. They're coming down hot and they land right on his head and kind of <laughs> knock him to the ground while he's standing in the street. And the turtles try and kind of go after him, but not before Shredder, Bebop, and Rocksteady hop into the transport vehicle, jet back into the ground. And the turtles this time, you would think, after all this transport vehicling and lava floating up to the surface after, they would have been like, hey, let's stay away. But they actually burn their turtle feet on the lava this time as the transport machine escapes. Which made me think of, you guys obviously have played Turtles in Time or Hyperstone Heist, but you know when they, and you, uh, it might be the Rock Hill Rodneys when they like run over your feet and the turtles grab and they go, my toes, my toes. I feel like that was pulled yeah. from this episode. It had to have absolutely. Also the most frustrating action that can happen to you in that video game because you're just unusable for a couple incapacitated yeah yeah but great soundbite for sure so when that little burn happens raf makes the sarcastic comment that like yeah we're dancing in the streets here which brings us to our final turtle discotheque of the day are you ready the song lyric is Calling out around the world, are you ready for a brand new beat? Summer's here and the time is right for dancing in the street. Everybody now dancing in the street. So, can you give me the name of the song, which should be easy, and the band, which is probably the hardest. You'll never get the band, but give me the song. Yeah, the Dance in the Street is the name of the song. I remember this music video vividly. I do not remember the band name. I'm going to go gotta, the Eagles. That's got to be the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> that is incorrect. The band is Martha and the Vandellas. Ah. Uh, well, I think it was covered by David Bowie maybe in the 80s or something, but original song Martha and the Vandellas written by Marvin Gaye little music history so you guys i should have known well we're not we're not culture yeah we're not culture like that chris the problem is you when i did this before music related somebody nailed the lincoln park album name and it just like threw me off like wow he knows more about music than i thought so yeah we're encore right yeah (laughs) just the numb encore (laughs) album yeah uh so next time I do anything music related, I will very, very much dumb it down, but not bad. You got a couple points scraped together. So thus ends Turtle Tech. Back to the episode for the final scene. We are back in the sewer layer. Donnie has fixed, he's pieced together the satellite dish. He's finally repaired it, got it back, looking good as new. And April is just so overjoyed with him repairing the dish and basically saving the news station that she gives him a little peck on the cheek, which instantly Raph and Leo are like, Hey, uh, we were helping out too. Where's our kiss. But before (laughs) there's any more smooching going on, big fat fatty Mikey walks in with a stack of pizzas and they're like, Oh, thanks for bringing pizza for everyone. And he goes, no, no, no. These are for me actually, because 
I have been weightless for the last 24 hours, so I deserve to eat some pizza again. And he scarfs down some pizza to end the episode. It's kind of the same joke from when attack of the 50 foot Irma at the end where she's like, Oh, I'm going off my diet because I just lost like 10,000 pounds. So I feel like they, uh, they could have been a little bit more imaginative with the, the punchline there. Yeah. Some recycled humor. Yeah. Also splinter. What the fuck do you do in this episode? He had his suspicions, John. And he was right. He was caught. He was like the, stray balloon that gets <laughs> floating up in the corner on the roof and just gets stuck and no one can get it. That was what Yeah, I'm just story. picturing him in the sewer just slamming up and down on the ceiling yeah. depending on what they're doing with the gravity machine. Yeah, meditating and he's just, yeah, he's just like head first into the, the layer. Uh, pretty good pretty good episode though. I mean for not much happening, you know, I wouldn't say it's the best, but it was definitely not the worst. And it's a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and we get more Kring and Shredder dynamic, more so than other episodes. So I don't mind, you know, more spotlight on the villains. But I really am hopeful that Raph becomes a factor instead of just like a bystander. Yeah. He's my favorite. He's been letting me down. Season he three. is. He's what's... Um, do you guys know the origin... Of the term duster. Like if you're a duster, you're like a nobody, like not doing anything. It's a hockey term that originated because you're so bad if you're a duster that you just sit at the end of the bench and collect dust. Because you're not playing. I feel like Raph has been a duster these past couple episodes where he's yeah. just not doing much. He just has like, besides the little liners, like comedic um, sarcasm, he really hasn't been a factor at all. Like, Whole season, I feel like, because we're what? How many? We're f- what? Five episodes in or six now? Uh, yeah, this is episode five. Five, yeah. <clears throat> but good news is we got forty-two to go, so there's still plenty, of, plenty of light in season three. And I will like this. Uh, this episode again, I injured nailed it. Not great, probably middle of the road episode, but I hated the last two so much that this was elevated in my mind, pun intended, because it was just nice to have something actually entertaining for once. So with that being said, John, would you like to update us on the showback sports book? Yes. And, and I will say the music to the showcast sports book is primo. Big fan of that. Definitely, yeah, Chris. Music. I think yes. Chris called that out. Uh, yeah, last episode I think it's too, my right? favorite, to be honest. He did. Pretty good. Uh, quick update: we had one cowabunga from Mister Angelo in this episode, so we're up to four total. No, thank goodness, Donatello did not officially fly the turtle blimp. I've got an asterisk here for the animation error if it comes down to it. Um, Raf has not driven the turtle van yet, and Leonardo. While he did throw the anti-gravity boots, he did not throw his katanas this episode. So no additional katana throws for. I don't even think he unsheathed his katana. one. No, none of none of their weapons really came out besides maybe Mikey's, like because yeah, his chucks, chucks got instantly blasted. Yeah. Like that line, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but uh, he says like my my chucks are in slow mo or something. My slow mo chucks yeah. was a nice line. 
So thank you, John, for the sportsbook update. John's like the what's the sports guy in Anchor Man? That's what I think of now when I kick it to him. Yeah, or um, so, Stat Boy, like back in the day on uh, PTI when Tony Reality yeah. was the the stat guy, and he's yeah kicks it over to him. Stat Boy Johnny. All right, now turtleisms. Everyone's favorite. Uh, you know what? We'll start with Andrew. I'll take the pressure off of John because God knows he always kind of was one cowabunga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a lot. So I, I missed a bunch, I'm sure, but I'm just going to run in order of appearance. And so not by by person, but order of appearance. So Shredder, Worry Wart, which I've never been a fan of that saying personally, but... Yeah. Uh, Michelangelo, nuts, uh, Mondo, nutso, experienced dudes. Raphael, make turtle. Oh no, R in this case is actually rock study, so I got to remember that. Make turtle stew out of these shellbacks. Mikey, Mondo, Bizarro dudes. Mikey, freakazoids. Rock steady, turtle trash in time. Crack some shells. Raph says sleezoids. Rock steady turtles in a stew, which. The turtle stew thing is way overplayed by uh by the it's turtle here. soup. There's like I, why can't they just say turtle soup is the well known thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Stew. But they they use it every episode. So, um, Raph says Rhino Breath. Mikey boots are made for walking. We talked about the song earlier. He also drops a righteous and chucks in slow mo mode. Is actually the quote that he says. Like that, yeah. Um, he also says Chow dudes. Shredder, with a little alliteration, he says pathetic peons in reference to um, Bebop and Rocksteady when they they screw up the gravity boot thing. Mikey with a Mondo crowded and a mega, mega disaster dudes. He did drop a Cowabunga, as John mentioned. Another Bizarro, Raph with a pig face for Bebop. Uh, Mikey says Primo to the Extremo. Um, and then Johnny steals a Mikey line and says, Exacta Mundo, dude. Burn says, Sewer dwelling swamp rats. And I forget in reference to what, probably just talking smack about the turtle. Um, or maybe after they dropped the satellite dish, I can't recall. Mikey Mondo Doff, Shredder, Wretched Reptiles. And do you guys know how to spell wretched? Because I do not. R E T C H I D. W. W R E T C H E D. Wow. Oh uh, yeah. I literally uh, wrote. I would it like phonetically. I'm an idiot. I literally wrote reach dash e d. Wretched is how it was in my brain. Um, and then the the final ones here. Raf with a freeze sleaze. Shredder drops another sayonara. Which Chris, do you remember how to spell that one? Sayonara is S I O N A. S A Y S A Y O N A R A. He got fucking owned. What are you going to yeah. do? Uh, and then Mikey ends it. Oh, he goes, Sayonara, you shellback simpletons. And then Mikey goes, Shredhead, let's tango. So uh, I'm sure I missed some stuff. Chris, did you get anything? The only one I had that you missed was the very first word. It was Lardo. When Raf, or Mikey's weighing in on the scale, he, he's like, I know I'm a Lardo, guys. That's my Mikey impression. Nice. All right, turtleisms. Well done. Now, I think this will be a little contentious. 
the villain power rankings. John, pull up the big board. Now. <laughs> he was not ready. I saw him scrambling. That's why John doesn't I, participate in journalism. She's always editing the. I had no. I had a. I had it pulled up. I just. It takes me a second to. There's like three or four clicks <clears throat> you got to do to share your screen. Yeah, and John, when are we going to use a new VPR graphic? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I say every single time that I'm going to do it, and then every time I'm going to pull this up, I'm like, "Fuck, I didn't do it." Work is, I, I will have to say this, work has gotten a little bit busy for me. So I haven't had as much free time Likewise. on the weekends. I have been socializing. Golf. Well, humble brag, Jonas friends. Cool. <clears throat> All right. So All right. to recap, number one, Big Guns Krang. Number two, Shredder. Three, Bebop and Rocksteady. Four, from last episode, the Vivaldi Crime Syndicate. Which? Two episodes ago. <laughs> That may be our highest debut, like ever. I, I was trying yeah. to remember when I was writing the um, episode recap um, for the pod uh, show notes. I was like flabbergasted that the first appearance and they sweep into number four. Quite, mm. quite, quite the move from last episode. Agreed. Five. <laughs> we've got the Foot Soldiers. Six. The Rock Soldiers. Seven. Baxter Stockman. Eight. Dragon Granitor. Nine. The Knucklehead. And 10, the punks. So no new villains this episode, but a lot of action, I think, from the ones that are active. We had Krang, Shredder, Bebop, and Rocksteady. We got the Foot Soldiers, so a good spread. Um, I guess we'll kick it to you guys on where you want to start with. uh, I guess let's start with the Foot Soldiers, maybe. Not so good for the Foot Soldiers. Yeah. I guess yep. the question is who had the worst like of so foot soldiers were active, Bebop and Rocksteady, Shredder and Krang were all active. Not so great for any of them, but definitely worse for some than others. I think um, Bebop and Rocksteady had the worst episode. I think Rocksteady, Bebop was kind of neutral. He didn't really do anything. Yeah. Rocksteady not only was soundly defeated, but was embarrassed along the way. Yeah. Yep. So out of principle, they gotta move down. The question is to where, because the foot soldiers also, I mean, they vaporize each other in their only scene, right? That was that was the one <laughs> yeah. scene that they were in, and they they vaporize each other. So, also not great. They but down? but I will say they got they at least had Mikey like they got Michelangelo to the point where he was at, um, like in the range of of laser yeah. blast gunfire. Which I think is more than Bebop and Rocksteady did, honestly, because Bebop and Rocks, or to Chris's point, maybe more so Rocksteady, but not a good showing at all from Rocksteady. So it's hard for me to move anyone up, but I feel like Bebop and Rocksteady have to come down at least one slot. If you um, get but, knocked out yeah. by your own stinky sock, that's an L. Tough. Tough yeah, that's an L. So but, the question is do the Vivaldi crime family syndicate move up? Just it's like one of those things where it's like the number one loses, but the number two didn't play, so they just move up in the poll for an activity. I feel like, out of principle, they have to because I yeah, don't think I the, agree. the foot soldiers leapfrog anyone, you know. So, yeah, I feel like they have to go to the three and be Bob and Rock City come down to the four, which is wild that we're moving. 
I think maybe Baxter is the only other one that moved up when he was inactive. They, I will, I mean, they were, they, they were very effective in their one episode. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're still fresh. They still is taste in the mouth still with the crime syndicate. They have the best name on the villain power ranking board as well. <laughs> so until Krang, they start getting, I like Crane as a name. So I can on him on a Pia almost. All right. So speaking of Crane, this is where the meat and potatoes of this argument is. As always. We have Shredder as the lead of this episode, you know, behind the steering wheel. Krang plays a crucial part, I will say. Team Shredder, if you'd like to present your case. Um, well, to the moon. To the moon. Yeah, I would just say Shredder, while he was um, off his meds in this episode, he did... I will say like the point at which the hyper gravity or whatever you want to call it, like that was sucking everything down while that was like out of rage or whatever. Like, I don't think that was a planned event. It did essentially level the entire city, including the turtles. So without Bebop and Rocksteady screwing up with the boots, I feel like that would have been a strong move for I also have to knock Shredder because he did send Bebop and Rocksteady to the surface. So I can't really blame Rocksteady only. Um, so it's hard for me because I, I don't think he leapfrogs Krang because I think, yeah, I don't know. John. I oh. do. I, I think Shredder in pure villainness was, yes, he was crazy this episode, but I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the go get him attitude. Displaying gold standard behavior, Shredder. He I mean, he did wreak havoc on the city, that's for sure. Like that did. is villainous. Yeah. He liked ripping buildings in half and shooting them to the moon and stuff. Yeah. He's seen, I mean, let's well, it's cool the Jets on he pushed a lever that Crane invented. Yeah, it was Crane's but Crane was Crane cool. didn't want to do it. He said it's not ready, but it was ready. When he was right, it wasn't ready. Well, but Crane broke also broke his own machine too. At yeah, the end that's there. one of those that that if you want to talk villainous, that's just Crane being like, "Fuck this Shredder guy, I'm just gonna I'm gonna blow his shit up because he's just he's trying to run the show here." So I think Crane knew what was gonna happen there. That wasn't an accidental move. I do. I, the other pro for Shredder this episode was insubordination. We talked about this before in some episode. I can't remember, but insubordination is a villain move. Yeah, that's a pro in our book. That's and I will say, I, I'll agree because Krang, he took it lying down. Didn't he? He was kind of whiny, to be honest. Yeah. For the first ninety percent of the episode, he was just getting steamrolled. So it's a tough look when you're the guy calling the shots and you're getting steamrolled by your co-pilot, your whatever you want to call him, first mate. Yeah. So but, I mean, I, in my mind, Treader's number one. I don't know, because at some point, somebody's got to take responsibility for Bebop and Rocksteady. And you can't just keep sending the clown show in to crucial moment. Like, <laughs> you got the turtles right where you want them. You send the, the two guys that are known to screw every single thing up in the world. So, What we don't know, what we don't know right now, is maybe Shredder's playing the long game. Maybe he knows that these series of failures will lull the turtles into a false sense of security when they see Bebop and Rocksteady. 
and that at some point he'll swoop in for the kill. But he swoops. We don't. We got, just don't know. He got owned. It's yeah. just like Shredder's in it for me, for him. You know, there's no planning. He's so he's impulsive, and it's like, what what's your goal here? Was it to to meet to bend the city to your will? Then he just happens to pin the turtles down. So then it's to crush the turtles. Like there's no, there's just no focus. It's hmm. a fair criticism. It's hard because they all suck, but I think I would also say maybe Shredder and Crank flip flop this episode, which will probably revert itself next episode. But I do think I'll, on, I'll agree on that. balance that Shredder was more villainous than Crank, who was kind of it. MIA for for a lot of the episode. And just in pure destruction. <clears throat> yeah. This is the top like he, he if you think about it logically, he ruined the entire city. Buildings yeah, that, floating away and then just crashing back on their foundations. Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. Like that is bizarre. Like the the buildings got ripped from their foundation, were floating, and then fell right back into the same spot. Yeah. The number of deaths, the death toll from this episode alone would quadruple any of the other ones, I think. So, after a little revision, the top five has shuffled. Shredder is now number one. Krang number two. The Vivaldi Crime Syndicate moves up to number three. Bebop and Rocksteady fall to number four. The Foot Soldiers stay at five. And then six through ten stay the same. So, a little bit of shuffling. But a good episode, I would say, overall for, for villains, for what we have. That's a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. So a now, little bit, I will say, I will welcome more villains. It would be nice to fill fill the the villain power ranking top ten with active recurring, um, you know, more active, more recurring villains, and uh, get some going to what, what's the reserves? Yeah, let's get some on the reserves here. It'd be nice. There are some just on episode titles alone that feel like they're coming up. Yeah, in the next like five or six episodes. So we just got to hang on a little bit longer. I think. Yeah. So we will now move to pizza time. Pizza time. So Andrew obviously lost last week's Twitter poll or TikTok poll had to eat uh, the disgusting tuna and blue cheese pizza. So John and I had answered last week's Twitter or TikTok poll question, which if you will remember was what is the most textural Texturally pleasurable food to eat. That, the way you phrase that, just very sexual. Yeah, yeah. Very... John had said the bottom of an ice cream cone, the last bite, if you will, and Chris had said a folded potato chip. Whereas the Twitter and slash TikTok poll read folded potato. <laughs> with, that, with that being said it comes as no surprise that john won the twitter or the i keep saying twitter the tiktok poll with 67 percent of the vote wow which you would think wow not a lot of people voted but actually john how many participants did we have there was a total of 60 votes with a overwhelming 20 point margin i won 40 to 20 yeah. chris so well I will say, Chris, listeners. Chris does have a leg to stand on with his uh, his debate here because John did 
and, I, and I'm not blaming John because it could be the TikTok screen, but he did shorten his do the bottom of cone, I think is what yeah. it was written. And Chris yeah. was folded potato chip when it could have easily been folded chip. However, there were photos in there as well. Who gives a f- if, okay, a folded <laughs> chip or folded say, potato chip? Let's look at the photos a little bit. John <laughs> looks like it was a glamour shot in a mall. The bottom of the you, couldn't, you couldn't get it any more clear what he got. Yeah, I've got a fo- <laughs> folded chip. From the front view, you can't even see the crease in the chip. It just looks like a crushed bouquet of flowers is what I'm looking at. Also, not not the best shot or placement. It's covered by text, partially. I I know. I I should say, too, like, the background. You like that background of that, though? Yeah. Yeah. So we're in there looking around, which is kind of cool. The chip, like, it kind of gets hidden where it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that easily identifiable but them's the breaks chris i'm sorry to say and john if you want to go if you want to know how far i went into this conspiracy theory yeah where the chip is on the screen is like where the average person's thumb hovers when they're holding a phone with one hand so it's completely (laughs) blocked from view as you're looking at the pole so you get bottom of cone with a clear picture and folded potato with nothing when you're, when you're looking at it, I will say though, Hello. I do think that um, to standardize like the order that John put, so the first person, right? Because the way the way we're doing the TikTok poll now is the person who ate the pizza, or yeah, the person who ate the pizza is in play, right? Or no? If you can't ate, you are reading the question. You can't. You don't. You're not in the poll for that week. Yeah, so, so Chris, for this, for, yeah, yeah, Chris will spin because he lost. Therefore, he is out. So it'll be me and John. And since I ate the pizza, I go first. I ate the pizza this episode, Correct. right? Okay, Correct. yeah. Yep. So the person who says it first should also be listed first, just so that there's consistency, um, like there was last week with with John's yep. poll, just to make it as fair, fair as possible, I guess. So, all that being said, I concede my. To John, I admit that he won the poll, even though he is frozen right now on his screen. John, can you hear us? Wow. This is Hello? what John just can't handle the end of the show. <laughs> um, Hello? I can hear you, but you're still frozen. Yeah. All right. I'm back now, I think. Yeah. The person, Andrew, you will get the first pick in this poll. And you will be listed first in the poll question. Okay. So, without further ado, I think it's time we spin a pizza wheel. Wait, who's doing it? Chris. He lost. lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, He's going to spin. This stupid frozen face on the screen. I think the pizza (laughs) wheel is too much for his computer to handle. Probably. So, uh, Chris, you're up. Um, Would you like a shuffle as question number one? Yes, shuffle me up. All right, one. How just many? One. one. Just one. All right. Did shuffle. Um, and then number two is what? So we've got 30 entries on the pizza time wheel. Again, we're we're hovering around our all-time high. Lots of anchovies. Um, but we still have some unique ones like granola and licorice, peanut butter, and pickle, I think is what that one is. Um, yeah. Then we've got some normal ones like 
pepperoni mushroom, pepperoni, extra olive, extra sauce. So what are you hoping for? What are I'm, you not looking forward to? I'm in a fruit mood. I want the fruit, the assorted fruit one from when they crash into the fruit stand. So, you know, I will it be good. I don't know, but I'd like to, I'd like a little curveball. Yeah. We haven't featured fruit, right? There's been no fruit on pizza. Nah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. All right. Without further ado, we are spinning. You have banana and sausage, which bananas took me a fruit. Very neutral fruit. Yeah, starch, starchy fruit. Looks like Chris says, ooh. Ooh, do you need the mini pizzas? Mini pizzas, yeah. Looks like it. Nice. A little pizzaception going on here. Wow. A little mini pizza nice now a great excuse to buy bagel bites that's an old one coming off the board season two episode two so the question is um chris for that are you going mini pizzas on top of regular pizza or are you just going mini pizzas all the way i'm going mini pizza on a pizza wow little double decker yeah that this will be tasty i'm excited for this one Mm -mm -mm. so now that we have spun the pizza wheel, it is time for this week's TikTok poll question, which I will read off. You have it? I'm now pulling up the list. I have not looked at this before. I want this to be in the moment. And I am going to... You No, it's a random number, I thought. Oh, yeah. You're right. So there's no bias. Yeah. How do we get a random number? Uh, we do the random number generator. One, so give me one Andrew. through 20. Okay, give me a sec here. That's my computer. Thank you, John, for the reminder of the rules. Yeah. I was just going off the cuff. Yeah. So one to 20. And this is the truly random, which apparently there's debate about that, but it is the truly random.org one. And it's going it says 18 is the number 18, 18. so eight. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good question number 18 how many holes in one would a professional golfer have to make in a row before the president addressed it so how many holes in one in a oh. row from one professional golfer before it was noteworthy enough for the president to mention it and this is um on like par threes, obviously. So this comes from, uh, I didn't come up with this question myself. I did see it from one of the writers at Golf Digest, just as more of a thought experiment. But there's four, typically four par threes per 18 round, 18 holes of golf. So it would be the par threes. It wouldn't be necessarily like you have a whole one on par five because that would be immediately yeah. worthy. So I would say. Without even that information, I already had an answer in my brain, and I'm going with the hat trick. So I would say three, three holes in one would be presidential noteworthiness in my mind. <laughs> the hat trick. Three. I feel okay. Three. I, I'm going to write this down because that's the hole. For me, for it to be truly. Like the president would need to address it. I feel like it would need to be all four. Nine. Nine? Nine. What? Which is it's a Thursday, a Friday, 
and your first par three on a Saturday in a golf tournament, you nail another home one. I feel like at that point, the president's got to get on the horn and be like, what is happening right now? This is crazy. I think you're weaving out a crucial factor. And that is that the higher the number gets, the more people just assume like you're cheating or something's off. And then it's less noteworthy. So there's almost a, there's a, like a maximum limit. Yeah. Tipping point where the number becomes so ridiculous. You're like Kim Jong-il, like hitting a hole in one on every hole in his golf course. And everyone's like, well, obviously that didn't happen. So I don't. Yeah. But I mean, I think theoretically these things would be televised though. A professional golfer is the question. Chris, read, read the question one more time. Just obviously we have, it was written. Yeah. How many holes in one would a professional golfer have to make in a row and the inner rows and asterisks? Yeah. Before the president addressed it. Yeah. So when in I read row. that in my head, I'm thinking back to back consecutive Bolt. holes back yeah. to back to back. I, I that's not what I said though. Thing, no, I didn't say that. What the question says. Yes, that I Chris, I explained the question. If it so you're if you're nine, telling me nine holes, if you're telling me if you're telling me that if your first hole is a par five and someone gets a hole in one, that is immediately noteworthy. That's different than the par three. The president, John, the president to weigh in, like, what are we doing? The president, like, doesn't talk about sports <laughs> ever. Unless he's, like, making a joke in a speech. You're going to, nine, you know how long you, like, you said, so basically your guy's hitting a hole in one on every par three for four days in a row. No, for two days in a row. On the third day, it would be his first par three. He'd hit his ninth. See, I thought it was consecutive holes is the way I thought the question was written. That's but... how it was written. And keep okay. in mind, no, John, we're going to put this it... on a TikTok poll. You got to keep it concise here. I clearly explained the premise of the question before anyone answered the question. But it's so convoluted that it's like, John, you're, but... the way you're thinking, like it would, it would be way before the ninth one. Would it though? So you're talking two days in a row, a guy hits holes in one on every part three, it'd be fucking <laughs> the top of the news cycle. The so like... president, Chris, the president to address it, meaning there's some noteworthy statement by the president saying something about all these holes in one. Like, <laughs> you know how I mean is he just noteworthy? tweeting something out or is he like it cold in a press conference and be like, You guys hear about these fucking holes in one? Like I just yeah. want to throw my two cents in the ring and get on the record about it. Like, what are you talking about? I guess the question that I have is, like, for <laughs> golf, what are the most holes in one in a single – or it wouldn't be a single round, I guess, right? It would be – Well, the way John's talking, it could be, like, in a lifetime. Like, has no, anyone no, ever no. hit two, like, in the same weekend? I don't even think that That was my happened. point. Like, I might have, yeah. like, somebody has to have hit back-to-back. So then so, three would be the anomaly. So I think the question is in no one's had two holes in one in the same round before. Not that I know of anyways. There was, I actually just saw this recently. There was, it was in, I believe 1980. There was in a span of two hours, four golfers in the, in the PGA championship all hit a hole in one on the same hole using a seven iron. So in the same day, in a span of two hours or four holes in one by four different golfers. But that is the thought experiment. It's a single person. How many in a row 
where the president addresses it. But yeah, your point, so, like, wait, 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 in a row. Yeah, John. yeah. John's question, of course, John always has like the nuances to his question. I but, explained it. Well, then write it the way that you will explain it. So it's I it's, have to uh, fit it in a tweet. That was literally someone's tweet. Here's how the question should have read: How many consecutive holes in ones on par threes? Would a professional golfer have to make before the president addresses? Yeah, which makes it a question that's not TikTok uh, friendly. But John did miss out there, uh, according to Wikipedia, during the second round of the 1971 Martini International Tournament held at the Royal Norwich Golf Club in England. John Hudson had two consecutive holes in one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it, two has happened, and the president there, didn't address it. Yeah, notably silent President Ford. I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah. That, so that I, I like, I like my, um, I think he's, I think there is the answer in my opinion. Chris, what did you we'll, say? We'll see. What I the said voters I, I'm with Andrew. I'm like three, maybe four, because in my head, you're going to get, here's what, here's the kind of statement you're going to get. You're going to get either a throwaway joke in a speech just to like acknowledge it, or you're going to get like, you know, when Trump was in there, he'd probably just tweet something out like holes and ones, like God bless America or something like that. You just get a, a tweet shot out and that's it. I don't know if that counts as a state. Like the president's never just going to stop a speech and say, hey, I just want to acknowledge all these holes. And it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> so it just have to be a side comment. Yeah. Hot mic like comment or something. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. Think it's and, like, uh, and I just want to throw this out here too, John. Um, so a condor, do you know what a condor is? Yeah. Like a bird for under par oh, oh, in golf. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, it's been recorded on five occasions. So a condor. So that's a, so that's a hole in one on par five. Hole in one on a par five. Yep. Back in the seventies, mainly, um, one in 2002, I guess in Denver. Um, but none were achieved during a professional tournament. Yeah, exactly. Notably in Albatross, which is uh three under triple eagle two. Yeah. On a par five. Um, is more rare than a hole in one. Not very common. The Albatross. So yeah. A condor is also known as a double Albatross or a triple eagle. Albatross is a double eagle, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So well, right on cue, John has frozen and lost connection again. This might be the new end to our episodes. Hello. All right. Hello. So that'll wrap up this episode of TMT Shellcast. Thank you, everybody, and we will see you in a week. Cowbunga. Cowbunga. <laughs>